Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. All right, I want to welcome everyone back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne, and today I have with me a new friend, Dawn, who is a therapist from Minnesota. Dawn, would you like to introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about you? Sure, sure. So my name is Dawn, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And I have three kids who are between... 10 and 13. They all just changed. So I had to pause there for a second. So I have everybody in the double digits now, which is like, I also homeschool. So that's kind of my primary role um, right now. And then I, I am a therapist kind of um, on at, you know, alternating days. Mm -hmm. I love what I do both at home and at work. And I also am a Jesus lover. So he's part of all that, of course. And, um, I just really enjoy and am passionate about incorporating faith in a practical way, whether it be in homeschool space or in therapy space. So your podcast is like right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah. You're like the perfect fit. Somebody to talk to you about this. Like, <laughs> like I told you, my kids are just like two years younger than yours. And then we, we both have the girl, boy, boy situation Yes, and we both love Jesus and we love being part-time therapists and have yes. some time to give to our kids and some time to give to our clients and, and to try to honor Jesus through all of that. So perfect. absolutely. Really I couldn't have said it better. Yeah. You too. You too. Really? So the reason I invited you to be with us today, Don, is because I heard you on another podcast and it was so such a random thing that it was a podcast I don't normally listen to. And uh, I think it was like my I, Apple podcast that just said like episodes you might like or something like that. And I was like, okay, I'll listen to this. And it, I was like, wait, I really did like it. Apple knows me. <laughs> And I heard you talking to this other podcaster and I was like, I'm going to reach out and see if she'll come talk to us too. And the reason that I wanted that was because the heart that you have around people who are hurting due to church wounds. And so right Mm -hmm. now we're going to be doing, we're in a little series about church hurt I like to call it church hurt and other kinds of hurt. And I I just like to open up the conversation about that with you. Absolutely. I can't wait. It's a topic I'm passionate about because I'm finding, as we talked about earlier on our phone call, a lot of people, if not everyone seems to have a relatable experience in the arena, which makes me very sad and also shows me that we need to talk about it and we need to get it out into the light so we can have some healing. Yeah. So did you always work with clients that had church hurt or is this something that you've seen more of more recently? Definitely more recently. It's kind of interesting. It seems as though I would even just frame it as kind of post pandemic. Um, When I've begun to hear about it, 
um, more directly and feel like it's definitely been part of my clinical experience as well as my personal experience in terms of my friendships and family members mentioning things. So kind of makes me wonder what God is up to in the church, you know, revealing or exposing this area that, that, like I said, needs addressing. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. It feels kind of like a new thing. Yeah. And yet I know it's not because I know that my parents went through church hurt in the eighties and nineties and and my husband's parents did as well. So I, I know it's been out there, but it feels like maybe, maybe it's because we have more acceptance of counseling or talking about emotional Mm -hmm. health um, or social media. I'm not sure why, but it seems like we're talking about it a little bit more, which is good. Yes. Yes. I agree. Yeah. Maybe people are just more willing to be open about it um, at this juncture for some reason, but yeah, it is good. I agree. So how did you get into this kind of specialty? I know a lot of times our specialties find us by accident, but when, when did you yeah. start? Working with this? Yeah, I would say that honestly, it started a little bit more broadly in terms of the focus of my practice has been working with people who have been emotionally and spiritually abused. So a lot of, you know, healing from narcissistic type of relationships. And um, what I'm finding is that a lot of the similar dynamics that my clients were dealing with in those relationships actually relate very closely to church hurts as well, because there's that power differential. Yeah present. And there's a lot of the same work in terms of, you know, recognizing gaslighting or where there might be some control in the relationship, um, manipulation, some, again, that power differential, and then the isolation and grief that comes with it. So it's found itself more broadly, I would say. And then, as I said, more recently, it feels like it's been more focused on the church being sort of the arena where it was happening. But similar to dynamics I've dealt with my throughout my practice, if that makes sense. Yeah. Would you speak a little bit, um, um, gaslighting is a common term now, but could you yes. towards, uh, how would somebody would know what, like how to recognize gaslighting in a church context and what it is. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is kind of a buzzword right now. So I feel like we should clarify kind of what we mean by that. In, in my, kind of my own layman's terms, I feel like gaslighting is when you begin to question yourself and your own sanity or your own intelligence, even your own heart, um, because someone is putting that into questions, and, but it's regarding their behavior. So gaslighting can often feel like a kind of a flip around where you're confronting somebody on one of their actions or you know, confronting their behavior and suddenly they're making it about you and, oh no, you're remembering that wrong or you're crazy or no, 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 that's not how it was, you know, questioning those kinds of things and making it about you and a deficiency within yourself other than them taking like personal ownership and making amends as we would hope in a healthy relationship and hearing you out. So that's kind of how I think of gaslighting. Would you add anything to that, Anne? Yeah. I think that, that phrase of like the person making you feel like you're crazy where, yes. where you know, like you think you're a reasonable person and you know what happened happened and that you yes. thought pretty clearly, but they're yeah. saying it didn't or it's yeah. different. And yeah, 
that then yeah. you feel like you've lost it because yes because they're the yes. person in power and they say it was this way but you saw it and it was this way and yeah exactly it doesn't match your experience but i think whenever you feel like your own self is being called into question um that's sort of a red flag for me and especially when there is somebody who is in a, a power position whether it's a parent or an employer or a pastor or church leader you know we tend to take those things to heart because we respect those people and we want them to be able to speak into our lives. And most of us are people that want to accept responsibility where we've done wrong. So we begin to question ourselves and say, well, gosh, maybe I am looking at this a different way. So one of the primary things that I think I want to share with people who have experienced church hurt is you are not crazy. <laughs> It is not about being crazy and that your feelings and your experience are totally true and valid, regardless of what you've been told. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Now, you mentioned that you have worked a lot with narcissism, and a lot of times that comes up in our intimate relationships. How do you see that coming up in a church context? Yeah, well, I mean, narcissists are everywhere, and I hate to say it, a lot of pastors and I'm generalizing, okay, I'm generalizing. Personality traits that are present often in pastors, we often see also on the narcissistic spectrum. (laughs) And what would this be? (laughs) Oh my goodness, okay. So a narcissist really is concerned with image, um, very much about how they are portrayed in the world and they want that image to be one of grandeur and charm and um, they often like to be the one in control. So we often would see that possibly in certain pastors. And again, I'm just generalizing here. Um, and also sort of um, the gaslighting piece and the lack of empathy. That's like one of the probably keystone traits is just the lack of the ability to slip into someone else's skin and life from their perspective. And I've got to say that one has probably been the most, um, I don't know, pronounced of the traits that I've listened to for people who have experienced church hurt. Mm. Feel understood. They don't feel like there's a genuine compassion and empathy for who they are and what they've been through, which makes me very sad. Yeah. That is very sad. I I remember um, listening to another expert on narcissism that had said something about the narcissist's need to continually have affirmation. And it's like they're a never ending vacuum of needing other people to think that they're good or look good or. Yes. Yes. They require worship. They really do require worship, which is. Oh, I mean, that just gives me the heebie-jeebies when you think of it in the church setting. <laughs> it feels like so icky. And yet I know that some pastors have fallen into that. And so it becomes all about them rather than all about Jesus. And, and isn't it just like the enemy to kind of, you know, get himself in there in the church of all places and to use these kind of tactics against people? Because, of course, it lodges arrows in their own hearts, but then they have lies that they need to deal with and receive truth on. Um, but I feel like for the narcissist, um, it is kind of the perfect setup in that master position because there is that image piece, there's the control piece, and then there is that worship. People often have, you know, for their pastor, they, they revere them. 
And that feels really good to someone who's extremely shame-based, which we know is the root of narcissism too. Now, from my understanding, narcissism, like there's the narcissistic personality disorder that has its own set of criteria for diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But then all of us kind of fall somewhere on this spectrum of being the selfless person to being, to having some narcissistic traits. I know I probably have some some self-centeredness or self-aggrandizement, you know, some of those things. So how do you know if what you're dealing with is a narcissistic pastor that has a personality disorder or (laughs) just kind of selfish, you know? Yeah, boy, I really like how you reminded all of us too, that it's on a continuum. And I would say you're right. Like as sinful, flawed people, we all fall on the spectrum somewhere, (laughs) right? We have a lot of self-concern. I would say when we see sort of the extreme narcissism, um, that's when I would say it's diagnosable when it's quite intense or further along on that spectrum and probably across um, several relationships as well. Um, where we see, okay, we're not the only person that has been treated this way, but we see it sort of throughout their lives as a a genuine theme. Mm -hmm. Um, So that to me, sort of the intensity, as well as the presence kind of throughout that person's life, probably for me is the heads up that we're dealing with a pathological narcissist versus who's having a selfish moment, you know. Yeah, because, you know, as a couples counselor, for example, and, and this wasn't really the point of our conversation today, yeah, we'll, yeah. Talk, we'll come back again and talk more about narcissism. But as yeah. a couples counselor, I deal a lot of times with people coming in and saying, I think my partner's a narcissist. And yeah. you want to go, wait, 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 like, are we talking about a personality disorder? Or did they just do some things you didn't like and that didn't feel yes. good? You? <laughs> yes, yeah. very, very good thing to differentiate. <laughs> You know, I would also add to like, how do we recognize a true narcissist? I would say really their inability to have personal ownership. Mm. It's just a refusal to look at their own self and their own stuff and what there might be for them to own when it seems like it's super unsafe for them to say they're sorry or admit fault. That for me is also another huge red flag because it shows me that they're so shame-based that they're unable to own any part of their story that needs amends, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, to veer away a little bit from the yeah. narcissism discussion, because that could be its whole other episode. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about why, why does church hurt hurt so bad? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, don't you think so much of it goes back to our expectations of what church should be? Um, And when we picture who Jesus is and how loving and kind and compassionate and welcoming he is, and when we have an experience that doesn't um, align with that, I think it can cause some major hurt and grief, too. Mm -hmm. Because if we're in a church that isn't representing Jesus well, or even if there's one person or even a handful of people, which is usually the case, you know, I think there's this grief that happens for us because we have high expectations of the church. Mm-hmm. I think that is, that is okay. I think we should have high expectations of the church to represent 
Jesus and his heart and his character in the world. Yet, what we're finding is that you and I both have experienced lots of people who are like, nope, that hasn't been my experience. So I think that disconnect between who God says he is and who his people are, and then what we actually experience probably cause a lot of that disjointedness and hurt and grief. Mm-hmm. And so how can someone set themselves up well for like, is there a way to prevent, <laughs> to prevent church? Hurt? Oh, yeah. Right. I don't know because we of course can't control anything but ourselves. <laughs> so that's the first acceptance I think is we have to know, well, I can only control me, myself and I, that's a pretty short list. Um, but when something happens, I think that um, maybe what we can do is just be prepared with a mindset that isn't um, victim, you know, related in terms of why is this happening to me? What's wrong with me? But honestly, I don't know if we can really prevent it because I feel like it's a process that you have to work through when you've had a genuine hurt, especially from someone that you feel close to or safe with or think you should feel close or safe with. Mm -hmm. On the prevention side, I don't really know. I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe as experienced church girls and therapists and stuff, it, it, I feel like we should be able to come up with a list or something. Of, I know. Of like the, the red flags or the um, making sure your church culture has this in place so you don't get hurt. But yeah. it's probably, it's probably not like that. I mean, we do that with marriage, right? Like premarital counseling, we yeah. go, let's talk through all these issues in the beginning so that we make sure that <laughs> you don't hood for divorce later. Yeah. And yet sometimes it still doesn't work out and people exactly. do things and they hurt each other. So yeah, that's kind of how it is with church too. <laughs> I kind of feel like it is the more we talk about this. I'd never really thought about this question before, but I feel like hurt people are everywhere and hurt people often hurt people. So if we know that that's kind of an abiding truth, then yes, we're going to run into those people everywhere. And most people say that it's just a handful of people or less that have hurt them in the church. So once again, it's just kind of these few that are part of the congregation that somehow we have these experiences with. And yet it leaves us with such a bad taste in our mouth for the whole church experience then, which is the part that I feel so passionate about because we don't want people to walk away from Jesus or the church community just because of a few hurt people. And so I feel like we just have to give people tools so that they can, you know, become victorious and still be part of the community because so much of it is so good. And I think that's probably my big concern too, is I've worked with clients that I don't want you to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want you to still to be able to seek Jesus and the Holy spirit in your life. But you know, if it means taking a break from church for a while or finding a different congregation that maybe fits your needs better or a different pastor that you can respect his leadership style better, whatever, you know, I, I want people to still be able to have the Christian experience in the trust in Jesus, even though the church thing has hurt them. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And even if there's one safe person in that church that they can remain connected to and share their experience with, I feel like that is so important just to have those close relationships that are safe and that feel like they'll keep the information confidential and support you and not invalidate your experience. But we'll gosh, you know, I hadn't, you know, I haven't experienced it myself. And yet I understand, you know, to have someone like that, that you're connected to even one, I feel like is so important so that we don't isolate. And then, like you said, begin to say, oh, the whole thing is bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes if your therapist is a Christian and wants to talk to you about these things, then that person that you trust is your therapist and you walk through with that person Um, but I have experienced people who are really open to talking to me about it, but say they're never going to step foot in a church again, you know? Yeah. And then as I walk through my own church hurt and I'm trying to help them, I have to be like, I get it, but I still love Jesus. Do you want to look at the scripture? (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. And I think too, like for anyone who's listening, I really want to be sure that we say that it's a process as well. And so by no means, you know, do I feel like people have to immediately find a different church or whatever, but I think to engage in the process of healing and forgiveness so that we can someday step foot in the church again. And I think that's huge. And also to kind of think outside of the box, I'm finding that the Lord is and in this season, kind of like the church has left the building in some ways. <laughs> I'm finding pockets of Christian community where I didn't expect to find it. So gosh, you know, church has looked different for me. And yet it's been super good and really great, intimate, challenging fellowship. And so it's like, gosh, being open-minded as to what that might look like. Maybe it's a neighborhood Bible study or, you know, a group of girlfriends that you pray with once a week. It, it can look so different. Um, and to not get too religious in terms of, okay, I have to go every Sunday and I have to show up. And if I don't, something bad's going to happen to me to really give ourselves permission to just be where we are while still moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, like you said, finding a way to move forward, staying connected with other people who are going to walk with you through that. Like those are some of the most important things that I've found now. I know that you and I have both alluded to having been hurt in the last year or two. Are you, would you like to share your story? If you don't, I can cut this part. (laughs) You know, I think that I can talk in generalities. Um, I would say that my experience, and you can certainly cut this if you feel like it's not concrete enough. Um, I kind of found myself waking up to the fact that the church that I was attending had totally changed direction. And, um, and I would say that it was revealed to me, (laughs) you know, in a really strange, like my eyes were just opened that the system, you know, speaking of family systems, the system within the church that I was attending was extremely controlling and kind of had that narcissistic flavor to it. Also noticed that the boundaries were either they were very firm in that you were either in or you were out. Mm-hmm. I was always out, and I found myself feeling really insecure 
about myself, like in the early part of my attendance there, but I could never really name what I was feeling. And then when the whole pandemic piece happened, it became very clear that I was out. Mm. Felt like the church was not there for me. Um, We felt actually completely isolated during the COVID pandemic and And really just like, where are our pastors who are supposed to shepherd us and speak truth at this time? And so the Lord is so good. He had already connected us to a small group. And so that's really where we found life and truth and support and community. And, but yet it happened so fast. It happened like the church shut down and we basically didn't hear from anybody within the church for that entire year. Our children were not allowed to go even when the, the, mandates lifted um, and the church could be open. The children are not welcome Mm. for a very long time. And here we are a family. And so we thought, gosh, this is just so odd. It was just a strange experience. So in some ways, I feel like the, the sort of roots of it were already in place, but I hadn't seen or realized what I was dealing with until the COVID thing happened. And then I was like, Oh, (laughs) I think this is what's happening. And I don't want to be part of this community. And frankly, it doesn't feel like they are very welcoming to me either. So we had to do kind of a quick whoop, you know, like, well, where are we going to go to church with children? And, And so it just felt very odd. And like, I have to say lots of grief. I think I'm still working through the grief because I was all in for this church, my whole heart. I was so in, I loved everything they carried, all the kingdom principles that were at work. There's so much goodness that is happening there. And yet the lack of relationship and that strange boundary piece uh, coupled with the leadership not being as healthy as I would hope really kind of opened my eyes. And then you can't unsee that. And so once I saw it, I was like, yeah, we can't continue here. That's kind of, it was more thematic, I guess, and more, you know, pattern rather than like a specific incident. Um, So I'd love to hear more about yours too, if you're willing to share. Yeah. Well, um, like I told you, this uh, episode is going to be part of a series. So yeah. I, in the episode before this, I do share a little <laughs> bit about okay. my okay. Uh, experience and, you know, trying to be as personal as I can without throwing anybody under the bus, you know, but, <laughs> but I, I would say, you know, I, we were part of a community where we really did feel like family for 10 years mm-hmm. and I had a leadership role with the church and I was on staff and all of that. And uh, June, 2020. So three months into the pandemic, our pastors called and said they were leaving and with really no explanation. Oh, wow. And they were, you know, the people that we did life with and they were just, and they did a little finagling to merge us with another small church that um, was just kind of getting started, but they, they felt like those pastors had a similar vision and those pastors could shepherd us. All, all of those of us that were going to be mm-hmm. shepherdless <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> and so with that, that newer, smaller church, we, um, worked really hard to try to blend our families. It was kind of like, um, suddenly we were foster kids 
and we were getting a whole bunch of new brothers and sisters and a new mom and dad. And that's a great analogy. You can imagine the blending of the families was a little difficult. Um, It was difficult to figure out who was going to be in what role and who was going to be responsible for, you know, certain things that had to happen for the church to continue. Um, And I found myself feeling really untethered. I use this analogy of, uh, uh, you know, when a flag is flying in the wind and one of the edges is clipped, but the other corner has come come unclipped. And so it's waving, but it looks like it's going crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's not, is not blowing the right way. Like it should on the pole. It's just kind of flapping crazily. Yes. <laughs> that felt, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Like the one corner of me was clipped in that. I still had my faith in Jesus and I still loved the bride of Christ, the church, mm-hmm. you know, and I had my, I was solid there, but the other side that had come unclipped was my church community and my place in the church. And I felt really displaced. And so My husband and I and my kids, we tried to make it work for a full year from June 2020 until June 2021. And then Father's Day this year, we we had had conversations with every member of our small group because we were small group leaders and Mm -hmm. all the pastoral team. And we said, this this is going to be our last service and God's telling us to move on. And at that point, and I think you you could probably understand this because of the age of your kids, like we had a child going into sixth grade and we really wanted her to have a youth group and we wanted her to be able to um, start fresh when all the other sixth graders started fresh. So from June to August, we felt like we had basically two months to get this right. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I know we probably didn't have to feel that pressure, <laughs> but that yeah. felt like we wanted to be planted by the time school started again so that she could have mm-hmm. that experience. And mm-hmm. so we did a little shopping and my, my little boys found a church that has Mario Kart at the beginning of <laughs> before service. And they're like, we're done shopping. <laughs> and we felt like the, the leadership was healthy and the church is very diverse. And I love worshiping with people from different cultures and backgrounds. And yes, it's a big church where I can be anonymous and not serve right away, even though my heart yeah. is I needed a place where I can heal for a while. Absolutely. And I love giving yourself the space to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Incidentally, the church that we started going to also has Mario Kart. (laughs) (laughs) So message to all children's pastors. Why people come to your church? (laughs) My sons were so excited. Yeah. (laughs) like this place is awesome not only do we get to play mario kart but they get these silly sodas at the end of church where they like mix like a flavor shot of like orange or grape or whatever <laughs> like sprite and it's like lives are changed it's amazing like they have figured out the currency to their hearts yeah sugar <laughs> and mario kart that'll do yes. it for oh my gosh but and they like, did such a great job did yeah you right think about jesus yeah. Yep. Yep. How was worship? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do see like my nine year old, he said, mommy, there, there's always leaders at the stage that offer prayer 
during the service. And I keep thinking maybe I should go up there and get prayer. And, you know, so there's little, little moments where you can have those discussions where, you know, something good is going on. (laughs) Yes, I would agree. My boys found they have an app on the phone that has the soap study every day for the kids. And they are like, so excited about this app. And I thought, any children's ministry that has my children going to the word and studying it, it has an A plus plus for me. Right. <laughs> so I, yeah, whatever they're doing is really motivating them and exciting them about God. And so what else can you ask for it? They same? get extra sugar if they turn into <laughs> Probably, yeah, there it is again, <laughs> video game time and sugar. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, I know that the parenting part is just another layer of the hurt because when you get hurt by a church, if you, if you do have children, it's not just you feeling that and knowing that you need to walk away. It's also ripping your kids away. Like my children have never been to another church. Like this is their whole life. They were baptized and dedicated and, you know, all of that in the same system. And so even though they knew, I think they understood why we were moving on. They, they still kind of wondered. And then we knew that some of our friends, even our pastor's children, you know, they were yes. saying, hey, hey, where are the McNeese children? You know, oh. where, how come I haven't seen the McNeese family? And then you have to figure out how to explain that. Yes. Little guys. You know? And that's a tough one to put words around because it feels so abstract for kids, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I just liken it to, you know, in Genesis, when God tells Abraham to go and Abraham says, okay, where? And God (laughs) says, where I'll show you. And he doesn't really have a map or an agenda or a plan. He just has to pack up and go. And that's kind of how we felt like we don't know where we're going next, but we know we can't stay here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You start with what you do know, right. And you do the next thing <laughs> kind of await further instructions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sad to hear what you experienced. Yeah. And you too, I'm sure like we obviously different parts of the country and different reasons and all of that, but it's the same thing. It's your heart and your mama heart. And I, I cried every Sunday for a year. Uh, it, it was very hard to make it through a service without crying and cried a lot in the week in between. I got myself into therapy. Yes. Very good. Uh, I found a therapist that had been a pastor's wife and had been through church splits and had been through all of this. And we didn't do a lot of fancy psychological interventions. It was just a lot of, I get it. Yes. (laughs) A lot of validation. Yeah. Validation is so healing, isn't it? Just to know that you're seen and heard and they get it. It's Mm -hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like is, is an action step for anyone who feels like they have experienced this is to find someone who can give them that validation. Like you said, it could be a therapist or a close friend, but someone to just understand where you're coming from and just listen, no judgment, no fixing. Yeah. Listening. And I know one of the things that we had talked about on the phone too, is that once something like this happens and you feel like you need to leave that church system, or maybe even need to leave a denomination that believes a certain way, that's not aligning with your values or something like that. It kind of opens you up to finding the expression of the faith in Jesus 
or the worship of God that maybe your denomination or your church didn't do it quite like that, but you realize there's something good from different expressions. Like I I told you, I have podcasts on my library that are Catholic and Pentecostal and everything (laughs) in between. I take the part that I, I like and, and, you know, as long as it's biblical and I can mm-hmm. weigh it against the word of God, then I can appreciate and the expression of faith. That's maybe different than what I've been experiencing in my own church, local church system. Yes. Yes. I think that's a really powerful um, thing to point out that, gosh, you know, if we're going to reframe it as a positive thing, you know, it exposes us to a completely different kind of church experience. And God is a multifaceted, multidimensional God, right? And so in some ways, it's a beautiful thing that you're experiencing him in all these different ways that you hadn't seen coming. (laughs) That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or even like, I don't know if you've noticed it in your area, the rise of home churches, yeah churches probably could related to pandemic but Mm -hmm. also people who are longing for that more intimate experience of church instead of the more institutional church that they see in the big buildings yes yes and i think a lot of people are more open to the home church experience than the institutional experience because of church hurt i feel like other people just have a i don't know even a preconceived notion of what it's going to be like. And somehow inviting somebody over to your house just feels a lot more, oh, people are just more open. Mm-hmm. Well, that is kind of a cool trend. Yeah. We have a number of barns in our area. Yeah. So barn churches have been to kind of take off. So yeah, during the pandemic, there was a, a family who had a barn and they converted it to a worship center. And it was pretty amazing, you know, and they were like, kids are welcome and you can wear a mask if you want to. And, you know, the kids can run around the farm and it was, it was great. It's so really, again, out of the box and yet people found ways to get together. So this barn thing is really fun. <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd like to experience that. Oh, good yeah. old Minnesota Prairie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Recently, my son just started playing flag football and I, I don't know, like Christians are able to find each other. Right. But, um, yeah. a woman, uh, just approached my husband cause he's the coach and we started talking and we found out that, you know, we know some of the same people and we're praying for some of the same things and that she needed to find a therapist and I could connect her. And, you know, like, like God just awesome. put together meetings of people who need each other, even if it's outside of the church system, you know? Absolutely. Yes. I just so agree with that. Divine appointments abound, don't they? (laughs) So I, is there anything else that, you know, is at the top of your mind that you really want to make sure you share with people about this topic? I think the only thing that I had written down or been reflecting on is you know, really to, once again, sort of empower anyone who feels like they've been hurt by the church to think of it as, you know, when you accept the challenge to sort of work through the hurt, I feel like what we're saying to ourselves is that our heart is worth it Mm -hmm. and heart is worth it. And so just to think of it in those terms, like this is really hard work. It it is work. That's why we call it work in the therapy world. (laughs) It's very easy to check out and not deal with things, but it's hard 
to really face it head on. And so just to encourage people that your heart is worth it. If you feel like this is your experience and you can relate with what we're talking about, that really truly to just dig in and do it, you will not regret it. And I feel like the Lord is going to meet people where that hurt is. And that's the ultimate experience and encounter that we're hoping they'll have, right? Is that you will actually encounter his beautiful heart, not the flawed human heart, but his and his um, beautiful character in a tangible, practical way that actually meets you in that pain. So just to put a bug in people's ear, like whatever that looks like, again, it could be a safe person, a therapist, a prayer minister, whatever it looks like, but to just challenge yourself to do it Mm -hmm. and to not allow that experience to take out you know, the church from your life or Jesus from your life. Um, And to keep your heart alive and happy and healthy and well, because these things can shut us down where we suddenly aren't bringing to the world what we're destined to bring. And we all need each other, right? Everybody plays a role. So you, we need you, we need you to do your work. So your heart can shine in the world as it's destined to do. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm so blessed when I see people, working in their gifting, you know, yeah, it's just exciting to see. And so I do want people to have that healing because I don't want that to be stifled. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, that's just what the enemy wants is, you know, to take people out and to get them disconnected and to cause them to believe lies about who they are so that they don't fulfill that destiny. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to just think of it that way too, that we're really in a battle for the heart And so when we rise up and choose to, you know, invite Jesus into the pain and heal from that, that is overcoming the enemy. And that is a beautiful thing. Great. Well, I think it's a good transition to our final question, which I already warned you. What is (laughs) for soul care? Oh, and I thought about it and I thought, well, I first have to be very honest. I'm terrible at soul care. I feel like consistent soul care for me is, is a challenge. It's definitely a growth area, but I would say that two things came to mind when, when you asked me that question, one was every morning I start my day with Jesus and a cup of coffee. Mm. And I ask him just a very simple question, which is, um, Lord, what do you want me to know about today? And he will often just, or I'll say, just give me a place to start. And he'll show me either a place in the word, or he'll start to kind of give me a visual where we pray together through a particular issue or topic that he lays on my heart. Um, And so that for sure grounds me each day where I feel like I'm coming at things from a kingdom perspective. And that is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And he cuddles me on my feet. And so that is also very good for the soul. (laughs) (laughs) But then also on a more practical, like tangible, concrete level, I try to find a time every week where I can lose track of time. Oh. And um, it looks different. Sometimes I just walk the dog endlessly. The, the dog is a big part of my soul care, evidently. <laughs> but also just, you know, even if I'm running errands or if I'm just out and about or at home doing yard work so much of my life, I feel revolves around the clock. And I'm sure this is true of you as well, all of us busy moms. And so when I can lose track of time and just be present in the moment, that is when I feel totally, really restored. And I feel 
I'm in the presence of God and I'm doing my thing and I'm not rushing or hurrying, which I think is sort of the opposite of soul care. <laughs> so that is a big one for me. Good. Okay. So you said two questions I thought were really good. I hadn't heard somebody say that before. So for Jesus, uh, what do you want me to know? Mm-hmm. Or where do you want to start? Yeah. <laughs> where should I start? Yeah. Uh, that's fabulous. And then also losing track of time. Like, I don't, I don't think I've done that in a long time. <gasps> I know that, I know that yeah. we all say, oh, I lost track of time and not <laughs> an appointment or something, but it's kind of like, just like a cliche thing that we say, but to yeah. actually purposely lose track of time. I'm going to think about that a little bit more. <laughs> yes. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. It really is powerful for me. And I have to say my husband has been instrumental because he knows this about me. And so he will say, you go leave the house and don't tell me when you're coming back because he doesn't want me to have the end time. Like I'll be home by dinner or whatever. It's like, nope, the purpose is for you to not be concerned about the time. And Honestly, since our kids were born, that has been something that I've done. And it's, I didn't realize that it was soul care, but it is so highly freeing to not have that nagging clock and all those appointments. And, you know, depending on how much margin you have in your life, I feel like I don't have a lot because it's a busy season. Boy, does that feel like a luxury when I don't have to be thinking about the next thing. Yeah, that's great. Good way yeah. to <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, Donna, really thank you. You're a lovely person to talk to, and I hope we get to collaborate more in the future, but I just want to thank you on behalf of my listeners to come here and to share from your heart about these things and what you've experienced both as a person and as a therapist, that's invaluable. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It was so fun to get your email. I was like, well, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> with other LMFTs and Christians. I mean, this is like, this is like the best part of life right here. It is great. You. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soul Grit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.